All right. Welcome. Welcome back to the Biblos Network. We are so glad that you have decided to join us today. Um, what a great day. What a great weekend. We had wonderful, wonderful services, a great outpouring of the Holy Ghost. I pray and I trust that is happening where you are. This is a time for revival, a time of great and for great ingathering of the harvest. We had four baptized in English, three baptized in Spanish, people getting the Holy Ghost all over the place yesterday, and that's happening on a routine basis, and it's just time. It's just time to do the work of God. So I, I trust and pray that God's helping you and strengthening you. We have a great treat today. Um, this last weekend was our annual Christmas festival where we get together and we have bounce houses and refreshments and we all come together as a church body. And we had some special uh, speakers there at that festival that stayed over and preached for us on Sunday. It is great to have Brother Jeremy Brock and Brother C.J. Casey from the great Bakersfield, California church with us today. Hey, guys, welcome. Thanks for uh, having us. Yes, thanks so much. It's a pleasure. Yeah. Um, this is your first time on Biblos. And you guys have been with us this weekend. And you're flying out today, but we had just a little chance to slide you into the Biblos booth here and just talk with you a little bit. So I'm glad, I'm glad you could be here. Um, and for those of you that don't know the Bakersfield Church, it is, uh, the revival there is due in large part to the great I.H. Terry and Bishop Frost and now Pastor Kevin Bradford, a dear friend and a great pastor, a great man of God sure. that is impacting that region in a powerful way. And these men are, I call them young men yesterday, but they're my age. So. Thank you for that. <laughs> they're, they're young men. Very, yeah, very well, young men. I'll stick with that. <laughs> Brother Bradford just uh, let us know recently that we are no longer young men. So you can't use yes, that. Yeah. Over the pulpit. He said, he said, we have a lot of min young ministers. And he looked at us and said, you are not them. <laughs> so... <laughs> Well, that's one thing about Bakersfield. You don't have to worry about where you are. They, they help you to see it pretty clearly, don't they? Yeah, they let you know exactly where you stand. Bubbles so. don't get too big in Bakersfield. Yeah, yeah. That's awesome. I have a, a small army of people that are prepared to help me know where I really need to be when we, my bubble gets a little too big. We need them. We need them in our lives, we do. for sure. God help you if no one is there <laughs> to help deflate the ego. Exactly. Right. Um, so I've wanted to have you guys for a good while. You were actually slated to be with us in South Haven when I was pastoring in South Haven. That's right. Then we transitioned to Durham and COVID hit. And in all of that, you weren't able to, to uh, be there with me, yeah. at least. And um, But we finally got you to Durham. So you had a chance to run around Durham. And um, what do you think? What do you think about Durham? I love Durham. I love it. It's pretty it's, cool. Isn't it's it? a, it's a pretty amazing place. I mean, just everything. the The weather. Well, I love the weather already. As soon as we flew in, and just the colors. Yeah. The colors are beautiful. Yeah. Um, and so far, everybody, everybody we have met has been extremely nice. Not just the church. The church has been phenomenal. But just the people that we've met out in the streets, out at. Uh, you know, stores we've been into, restaurants. Everybody's been just so kind. I, it's it's been a great place. It's been a an amazing weekend for me. Yeah, I, I've loved every minute of it. I agree. I concur with that. Coming from the West Coast, it's a different vibe there. It is a melting pot. Um, 
I used to live in the Midwest, so some of the culture I'm familiar with, you know, there's more hospitality on this side yeah. of the nation. There's more yes sirs and yes ma'ams. Yeah. Uh, people listen to you, wave at you. I like that. The culture of Durham is really neat. It's a college city. Yeah. And so there is a lot of culture here. Um, and it is a beautiful place. The trees, the layout of the land, I love it. The church, though, is what stands out to me. And uh, the people are very kind. What, I, what I've noticed about the, the saints of Durham is they love their church, they love their bishop, and they love their pastor. And everyone ha that I have talked to, they bring that up. I love yeah. Brother Urshan. Um, it's a great city. The church was powerful. Mm. I would have to say that this is one of the most revival-minded churches I've been in. And I've, I've seen a lot of churches, and it is a powerful church. And I want to say thank you for having us. Mm. It's humbling to be here, and uh, thank you for having us on Biblos. Yeah, man, we want you guys to be on Biblos. I'm a fan. I'm a fan. Um, so for those that aren't familiar with your ministry, I, I want to make sure they know who you are. Um, one of the first times I was introduced to you and kind of some of the some of the stuff you did, because I, I know you do many things, but... I was at the 238 conference, which is a early January meeting. Is it like the, oftentimes the first week of January that they have that? Early, late December. Late so December, it's yeah. it's right there, right after Christmas, right before New Year's. So it's usually the last few days of December. Specifically the last Wednesday, <clears throat> Thursday, Friday of the year. Okay, okay. Dynamic conference. 238 conference is over the top. I mean, it's packed out and... The preaching is amazing. But what got me, was, I, and I had never really seen this done, was the interplay with the people from, uh, I don't even know how to describe it. it. It was an entertainment deal, a promotion deal from a biblical perspective. And I had never heard anybody make a psalm out of snacks after church. It was, it was so good. And so um, what I'm trying to say is, um, with the Brock and with the Casey, are uh, what do you call that? Is it is it comedy? Is it uh, promo? Is it youth? Uh, how, how do you describe it? Well, we together have have something. Uh, we um, for for many years have been a part of a, a group that we call Just Skidding, and so Just Skidding, Skidding. Yes. So that's something that me and him created a long time ago, and we traveled with that for, for many, many years. We stopped for a while, and then it kind of came back around about eight years ago, and we started doing Christmas banquets, things like that. And then we started doing more stuff for our church, but more around the you know this time of year and more around um, for 238 and things like that. So it's just kind of part of what we already had that we just bring to life at that time so <laughs> yeah so what you see at 238 is a spillover of just our character brother bradford um when he was youth pastor we served on his committee and then uh really 238 is birthed out of his vision and love for young people and as well as bishops they love young people as a matter of fact uh, the conference is solely for young people mm -hmm. and brother frost says there's no cost it's not a cost it's an investment yeah and so um in that mentality just getting we we always did skits for brother bradford for anything from uh 
things on the platform to making little videos like we had talked earlier about just to get the young people to laugh yeah. and entertain and right. let them know that really living for God is fun. Yeah. Right. And uh, CJ is, is very, very funny. Uh, he's, he's more of the slapstick guy than I am. Um, uh, there's Abbott and Costello, so he's the tall, skinny one, and I'm the other guy. <laughs> um, but 238, what you see there, the comedy that you see there, I, I want to say that it was unintentional at first. And so for those that know the conference, the last night there is what we call the 38 Connection, and Brother Bradford named it that. And he wanted it first to be advertised as 38 reasons why you shouldn't leave the property and stay here. Oh, there's there's friends, there's food. And so we had at the time a little fondue fountain. Mm -hmm. And so me uh, and the gift that God has given to me to administer is the love of food to those that need it. So I would <laughs> it just- It is next level, okay. I, I see you at Holy Ghost Radio Food and I'm like, these guys are just on another planet. They're amazing. You know, it's one of those things, Brother Ursh, when we go to heaven, there's going to be a Last Supper. Yeah. And I want to know all about that. Yes. I mean, God yes. has to love food. Who's cooking? Yeah. How much can we eat? Is gluttony a sin? <laughs> you know, how long is this dinner? Yeah. How do glorified bodies receive? <laughs> right. How, you know, it's a glorified body. There's yeah. no sin in heaven. So yeah. I, you know, there there is something about food, you yeah. know. And you can study, this is funny, I did this once in these announcements that every time there was a move of God, there was food, you yeah. know? Yeah. Angel appeared unto Gideon, you know, he sacrificed the goat, you know? Yeah. And you see that all throughout scripture, but yeah. anyway, I'm, I'm not here to teach, I'm here to talk yeah. about. <laughs> Spread the good news, yeah. So I just started, you know, trying to promote. We wanted everybody to stay on campus. We wanted all our guests to be there. We wanted to uh, facilitate their hungers and just, you know, let them know, we want to meet you. We want to greet you. Yeah. We want you to be here. So I focused on this fountain. And at first it was kind of humorous because it's a little fountain. But mm -hmm. since then. It took on a life of its own. It took on a life of its own. And so it was, it was called the Chocolate Fountain. Yes, the Chocolate the Fountain. The Chocolate Fountain. And uh, we've upgraded. We've got a much taller fountain now, a commercial grade fountain that yes. billows and flows with with chocolatey goodness and so everyone <laughs> has this expectation and it is difficult i really i really like doing it but i'm nervous when i do it yeah. like i told you because i don't want to cross that line of being sacrilegious and uh you know yeah. like the word of god you can open acts 238 and you can get a new message every time out of that because it's the living word the fountain yeah. is not the living word so yeah. we have to work at it and <laughs> yeah we just make it funny and people love it. People get involved with it and CJ helps me greatly with it. And Okay, so I, I've heard it and I laughed along with everybody. The way it connected with the young people and then the older people, they hear the tongue-in-cheek stuff and they're just dying <laughs> laughing. But what was next level to me was, I don't know, it was three, three years ago, I guess, four years ago. I was there. I think I was preaching with Brother Cornelius Williams. We were, we were the speakers. And you had that year, the theme was the donut man was rising to challenge the supremacy of the chocolate fountain. Mm -hmm. And he was evil. Well, that might be evil, but just he was an antagonist of some kind. <laughs> yeah. And he was coming against the chocolate fountain, and it looked like the chocolate fountain was on the ropes and, and may be in trouble. 
and there needed to be some divine intervention. And so an angel needed to show up. So Coco the Archangel showed up, which was, was that Gabriel's little brother? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's one of the archangels. Yeah. yeah. Gabriel's one of the brother. lesser known archangels. Yeah. Yeah. Lesser known. Yeah. He's, he's the guardian of the chocolate fountain. That was his whole purpose. Okay. He's the guardian yeah. of the chocolate fountain. He's the guardian of the chocolate fountain. That's, that's the, the job that God gave him. You know, he just looked after it all these years. And, mm-hmm. and so, yeah, the, the chocolate fountain was definitely being tested and, and uh, Brother Brock was, was, you know, in a dilemma. And so uh, God sent down the uh, angel Coco. Sent down. Okay, so here's, guys, okay, this is mind-boggling to me because I'm following the storyline and I can appreciate it. I'm laughing. I like a good joke with everybody else. But when I saw ceiling tiles removed and from the heights, Brother CJ, who is Coco, he is Coco the Archangel, the yes. guardian of the chocolate fountain. He descended mm-hmm. on heavenly clouds yeah. of some kind. <laughs> he comes down. Hovering over the heads of our uh, choir. Yes, hanging there in midair with this little trumpet that is a squawky little trumpet. It was so awesome. And, and he spoke words of encouragement to those that were under attack. They gained strength, and then Brother Brock was inspired by that encounter and burst forth in psalm and began to declare his renewed strength. And there was this line at the end of it that I almost had a stroke. I laughed so hard. It was, we we submerge. We we don't dip. We We submerge. (laughs) That's apostolic, brother. You know, just like David, he wrote psalms. And uh, when you have a visitation like that, Yes. There's nothing better to do but then to give a psalm. And Brother Brock, in his great mind, for every year he comes up with the skit that we do for that announcement. And he does an amazing job. And it's, uh, it's funny. Somehow he's able to fit that in every single yeah. year. Yeah. And that's what just kind of pushes it. Like that's almost the the unofficial theme, you know, yeah. because it really yeah. is like people are looking Bro, forward to it. It was next level the yeah. the thought that went into it and I can only imagine how hard that is because it is, brother Ursa, when you have men of God, <laughs> renowned men of God if I could say that way, come to me and they don't they don't ask who's on, you know, the doc who's who's preaching there like, "Hey, brother Brock, got a question." Is there going to be a chocolate fountain announcement this year? <laughs> so the burden that God has put on me is weighty. Yes, indeed. Well, you do, you do a credit to yourself and to Bakersfield and to Pastor Bradford. He uh, delegates that authority to you guys, and you carry it well. It is very good. So congratulations. Thank you. It caught my attention, man. And it really the synergy of the whole conference and the way it seamlessly wove into that. You know, um, some people might frown on that, and I would call them sourheads. Um, you know, you're dealing with young people, absolutely, and you're dealing with a generation that is they have a, a firm appreciation for the entire spectrum of human emo emotion. Right, humor is part of that. Right, and you know, I'm not. I don't know how to do slapstick. I'm. I'm I would be a horrible comedy guy but i do weave humor into what i do because i find humor in what i do Mm -hmm. um so when i'm preaching i'll just take a quick left turn into something i find funny and people have often told me 
the funny thing about my jokes is that I laugh at my jokes. My jokes aren't funny in and right. of themselves, but the fact that I take great pleasure, it makes people laugh. So whatever, you know, I... Well, I've learned that laughter is, is I mean, as the Bible says, you know, life, laughter is a medicine. Do it you know, good like a medicine. Yeah, do it good like a medicine. So uh, it's it works, especially when you're working with young people. It works, and it, it helps them because it gets them... Uh, vulnerable to a sense because it's what opens them yeah it opens them up they they start laughing and realizing what you know that this isn't all about just standards and and what we don't do and and all this other stuff and like no you you can be apostolic and be amazing and have fun and laugh and and do things and and be great for the kingdom of god it's more than that you know and some of the greatest preachers i've ever heard are the ones that get you laughing yeah and then you're laughing, and now you're opened up, and boom, they hit you right between the eyes. You know who's good at that is Brother Nate Wilson. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Brother Wilson will be dealing with some profound mm-hmm. subject that is really opening up your understanding, and then he will hit you with a left hook mm-hmm. with something so funny it doubles you over. Yeah. And and I, I remember looking at him when I was younger and going, he is using every tool in the toolbox yeah. right. to reach people. He's good at that. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, well, I, I saw it there. What people probably don't know is that this, obviously it's born out of a vision of uh, Pastor Bradford and, and the church there, but your giftings come from your testimony, mm-hmm. from your walk with God, how God brought you in, how you lived and survived and developed as ministers. Because um, you preached for us Sunday morning with a rock, an amazing message. If you are listening to this right now, you know, hit pause, go to FPC Durham YouTube and listen to Sunday morning with a rock preach an outstanding message. And we were going to enjoy the ministry of Brother Casey, uh, and he was had both barrels loaded and was ready to <laughs> preach. And then the Holy Ghost blew up, and people got baptized and got right. the Holy Ghost, and we went with it. Absolutely. But I'm saying it now publicly. We're having Brother KC back, and he is going to be preaching in Durham because he is a, a dynamic man of God as well. Thank you. But but the stuff you got into, tell me a little bit about where you guys come from. How, how did all this happen? We'll start with you, Brother KC. Okay. Um, so... How we met was I got in church. You guys are like brothers. Yeah, yeah. We 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 became very close, and we got in church around the same time. It was about three months different from when we uh, started attending First Pentecostal Church was in it Bakersfield. Like Mid nineties, uh, nineteen ninety five for me. It was okay. November of ninety four for him. Okay. So when I started coming, I was sixteen years old. I started coming. Um, I came to one service. I, I uh, at that time was in a dilemma. I was at a place where I was going to a Trinitarian church, and um, I was going. I felt nothing, and so I started praying, asking God, you know, Lord, show me where I need to be because I feel like this is not it. Mm. And so I started a, a prayer and fasting on a Friday night. By Monday, I got a call from my cousin saying, we're headed to Bakersfield to First Pentecostal Church to hear D.C. Moody. We would love you to come. I said, oh, I'd love to come. And so they picked me up. We went in. As I was walking down the aisle, I heard God speak to me, say, welcome home. Mm. This is where you belong. And you had to emerge from challenging circumstances. You yeah. overcame a lot in your life. Mm-hmm. And you guys connected. 
yes. on a pretty powerful level. Mm-hmm. Now you were, was it Oklahoma? Where you were from? Yeah, I was originally from, my mom was born and raised in Oklahoma. There is a city in the northeastern part. It's a now abandoned city because they had a tornado go through and they've actually uh, bought everyone out of that small city hmm. and relocated them. It was Pitcher, Oklahoma, which is only a few minutes from, like 10 minutes from Miami, Oklahoma. Mm-hmm. And that is that is where the seed of truth was planted to my mother by a man of God known by Brother Larry Booker, who Larry had a church Booker. there. Yeah. And so be- Brother Booker was pastoring there when he was younger and encountered your mother. She had a, a great encounter with the Lord, and it obviously affected you in your life. Yeah, you know, uh, it did. I was only an infant, but her directly, she was affected. And uh, she, from Brother Booker and just the way he teaches, and everyone who knows him knows he's an incredible teacher. He's great to listen to. He captivates those that listen to his preaching. Um, she oftentimes will say if it wasn't for brother frost she would go to brother booker because he could keep her attention but he instilled within her truth and from that she got the revelation of the oneness of god Mm. she was trinitarian and she was baptized in jesus name she had not received the holy ghost yet and then she fell out of church um and god still kept that in her Mm. you know once you hear the truth, you can never, ever deny it. You can try, but yeah. it's the truth. Yeah. And and a long story short, we found ourselves in Bakersfield, California. We were invited. She was invited, and my stepdad at that time, to go to church. And her remarks were, there's only one kind of church I'll attend. And here she is in pants and makeup, not living for God. Mm-hmm. And uh, those that invited her asked what do you mean only one kind of church she said it has to be an apostolic pentecostal church and they asked how she knew of such a church and she said well i don't know if you've heard of this man but there's a pastor in miami oklahoma his name's larry booker Mm. who had just recently preached for brother terry brother frost and that conversation came up they brought my mom and me and my brother and my stepdad to that church, they both were filled with the Holy Ghost. And I can remember praying at five years old in, in front in the altar. And I can remember very emphatically feeling the Holy Ghost. I didn't receive it, but I could feel. And everybody knows what I'm talking about. When you feel the Holy Ghost, mm-hmm. that always stayed with me. And then we left again and went back to the Midwest, back to, back to Oklahoma and Kansas, that four-state area. And I actually, my parents were in and out in church because when, when God touches you, you know the truth. Yep. And they, you know, they would they would be living for God but struggling with things of the world. And somehow in the midst of all that, I was able to receive the Holy Ghost in a church in Pittsburgh, Kansas. Now I have the Holy Ghost. Now I know the truth. Mm-hmm. And uh, through life and its circumstances and the hardships and, and just, you know, like I said, for me, we lived in 16 different cities. I know that I've moved when I was a child over 35 times in my life. Wow. Counted. And the reason I know that, Brother Urshan, is because in my young people, when I was youth pastor, I've heard this time and time again, but I knew what city I lived in by what school I was at. First grade was Pitcher, Oklahoma. Second grade, Quapaw. Third grade, Baxter Springs, Kansas. Fourth grade, Pittsburgh, Kansas. And on and on. Every year was a different school. 
and uh, and we just were never stable until we came back to Bakersfield. And uh, you know, when God gives you a promise, you know, when he when he promised anointed David King, he still had to fight yeah. battles. Oh yeah, you know? he had to go through the struggle with Saul as king. He had to go through you know even goliath before he even became king and there was a promise in his life and i'm not comparing myself to david but i am saying when god plants something on you you you're called he's he's reaching for you and so in november of 94 i came to bakersfield even though i didn't want to at the time because i was enthralled in in high school in baxter springs kansas and i was playing football i wasn't living for god but I was in a place where I thought was stable and safe. I was away from my family who were fighting all the time and divorce was rampant in my home and I, I just wanted to get away. And so high school was my stability. And now, yeah, so regimentation, um, scheduled faithfulness correct. to programs, maybe a bit of a familial atmosphere with like a father figure and a coach or something like that, mm-hmm. maybe some teachers you connected with. Yes. So people are looking for that. Mm-hmm. You guys said something last night when we were talking that really resonated with me. You, you said that a lot of comedy or the ability to see something comedic or funny is birthed out of pain. Mm-hmm. That adversity will birth that. And there's you know secular comics, worldly comics that you've heard that before. They come from right. very difficult circumstances. And somehow this expression comes out in their life. And that kind of has played a role in you guys to some degree yeah it's a mask in some ways in in some ways so you you there's an old song called tears of a clown yeah and uh and so the the gist of the song is that he's he's being a clown and trying to be funny but beneath he he's he's hurt and so he's he's crying really uh all the time but but he's trying to be funny and laugh through it and that's really what we've had to learn to do is is laugh through circumstances but on the other side of it it's not a mask in the sense of of we found sincerity in our laughter we just found it as an escape mm-hmm. as a way to to get away from the realness of it and that's why me and him i mean we make jokes all the time you know about our circumstances about what we've been through because it has become it it has become a, a calming to us you know it has become funny to us we've learned to laugh through it laugh through the the pain laugh through the life uh and everything that we've been through and and really that's that's a lesson of life like it, you could everybody has the opportunity when you're going through something and you're facing difficult circumstances how are you going to look at it mm-hmm. you know are you going to look at it like the, the as he says in one of our skits like his life is in the toilet and satan has his hand on the flusher <laughs> or <laughs> quite the image <laughs> right or are you going to look at it as as you know does god have a sense of humor is yeah. he is you know, is this his way of, of yeah. getting my attention? And and that's how I look at things a lot. I'm like, all right, God, you're you're. Here I think go. you're laughing at me right now. Yeah. <laughs> but one of the deals that really caught my attention is you didn't just use it as an escape. I think a lot of worldly comics, secular mm-hmm. comics, will use it as an escape. And then in in uh, their private life, they turn to substance abuse. You know, one of the famous ones was Chris Farley, right. who mm-hmm. was so funny and used physical comedy, but over overdosed. And, right. and was just on this horrible substance abuse track. Mm-hmm. You guys didn't just use it as a refuge. You turned it into an edification right. for young people. Um, like you get it. Absolutely. You get young people 
So you actually turn it into an offensive weapon for good. Now that's a big deal. Yeah. I don't know that I've seen that too many times. I mean, you can get up and make people laugh, right. but beyond that, you're supporting the gospel with it. Mm-hmm. You're providing an environment for young adults that are like, man, I want to do this. What is this? You know, this is right. so cool. Who wouldn't want to see Coco come down out of the ceiling <laughs> with a trumpet? <laughs> I've heard if you can get them, if you can get people to laugh, you can get them to the altar. And there is a fine line there because there is a time to laugh and there is a time to, to weep. That's very scriptural. Yeah. And so you can't be jocular all the time. But in the world that we live in, there is so much sadness. There's so much despair. And uh, it's good to see a smiling face. I believe apostolics should be the happiest people in the world. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, CJ had said something, Brother Casey, about, you know, we make fun of some things and what he really means about that. We don't make fun of them. I don't mean it to say it that way, but right. when you have parents that did drugs, bad drugs, and you had a father who smoked marijuana and, and you never knew him and he was, he was an alcoholic and that was his demise, you know, we're never going to do those things. Mm-hmm. And so uh, it's something that we just, we're easily, we'll, we'll laugh at it each o- with each other. Right. Um, and we help other people with that because uh, it's just, it's just the fact of life. You have to laugh. You yeah. have to have a good time, you know, because you're going to have plenty, plenty of temptations and the bad times will come. Mm-hmm. Right. So I'm glad that there are people that enjoy <laughs> enjoy us whenever we're being funny. Yeah, yeah, it's awesome. And Brother Bradford is the the perfect setting. The Bakersfield Church and that ministry is the perfect setting because it's so anointed. You know, the worship is so great. The preaching is so powerful that it's almost like that comedic dynamic just comes in underneath that and supports it. And it really provides an interesting mixture of things. Um, one thing about the Bakersfield Church is it it's it's going to forever be linked to IH Terry. Right. Now, that name might not mean much to some people watching this because they didn't know Brother Terry or, or those associated with him, but he's an iconic figure figure in conservative Pentecost. Absolutely. Brother IH Terry was a one of a kind guy. He was like a cowboy kind of I don't know, I just a man's man that the stories are legendary. And in today's world of cookie cutters and political correctness and you know conformity to the point where the person doesn't even have a personality, he looms large. Mm-hmm. And one of the things I immediately noticed about him, they, they had the I.H. Terry boys. They were the men that came out from under Brother Terry. And they were men. They were masculine. And every one of them was different. Right. Like they're all their own thing. And they all got strong personalities. They're all... You know, uh, they love God. They love doctrine. Yep. They, they're church builders in many cases, um, but they couldn't be more different. I mean, like everybody's a unique individual like Brother Terry was. Right. Um, you guys, you, you knew him in his elder years, his older years. Correct. Um, but you did have access to Brother Terry, and some of the stories are just legendary. In Bakersfield, I guess, let me, let me just take this one by one. The Bakersfield Church has a lot of men. There's a, there's a masculinity there. Mm-hmm. Okay, so that's a, an anomaly in the religious world today. Mm-hmm. Durham has men. Mm-hmm. I saw a video that of one of our conferences where the Holy Ghost just just broke out. They were worshiping, and um, it got on one of those you know those social media deals where people poke fun at you and 
they laugh at you and they they saw people dancing and speaking in tongues and they wanted to make it like it was some kind of crazy thing and that was what they why they posted it was to mock but more and more people were like where's this place at this is pretty amazing and one of the comments i will never forget it it, it really touched my heart somebody said how did you get men to serve god hmm. and i remember going oh wow because in the denominal world, they're largely matriarchal in, in a lot of cases. You'll get women to come to church. You'll get kids to come to church. But men, they want to get drunk. They want to play around, fool around, go to ball games, do everything but come to church. Right. But Bakersfield is famous for, <clears throat> I don't know what the word is, just men yeah. that love God. It, first of all, that's strong leadership. But, Absolutely. But I just noticed that very early on that Brother Terry produced men, men with backbones. Yes, yes, he did. I mean, do you know what I'm saying? Absolutely. I, I don't yeah. know how. What would, what would your take be on that? I know that Brother Terry was, first of all, he was a man. Um, I like never, a man's man. A man's man. And you can tell by the product, those that have gone out from him. Um, Brother Terry wasn't afraid. Uh, he loved real people. And he wasn't afraid to use any man. He, he would pick someone and he'd say, you're going to preach or something like that. He, he used men and he, he really took care of them. And like I say, in my, in my time with him in latter years, that's who he was. He loved me. He wanted me, a nobody, to stay with him. And uh, he, he took in my mom and really took a liking to her because she was a real person. Mm -hmm. And uh, I guess what I'm trying to say is um, he was iconic because he was bold in the doctrine he preached it two-fisted, mm. and he was a man of the word, but he loved people. He loved men. He used men. Um, he, he wasn't ashamed to put his arm around someone and put them to work, and he wasn't ashamed to get on to him either and rebuke him. So he, he was a man's man, and I'm little limited in how he raised men, but in my opinion of him and seeing the men he has, that's what he did. Well, I have watched a lot of compromise in Pentecost where they have, um, and it's kind of a spectrum. There are people who have forsaken truth, and oftentimes it starts with holiness. Isaiah 5 has a very powerful um, parable that God gives of his vineyard. God said, I had a vineyard. He said, I, I built a tower, I dug a wine press. Well. I preached on it recently <clears throat> where the tower is Jesus name and it's baptism the name of the Lord is a strong tower the righteous runneth into it and are safe so we run into the name of Jesus and so I built a tower and then he said I, I, I made a wine press well that's the Holy Ghost mm -hmm. that's where the grapes are crushed that's where the wine is made so it's the Jesus name it's the infilling of the Holy Ghost and that's my vineyard and then he said I put an hedge about it that's holiness and, and God said, judge betwixt me and my vineyard. What more could I have done? Well, when we get to the New Testament, uh, Jesus describes the vineyard being led out to men. And it's Israel. And he says, you know, the, the, the master went off into a far country. He let it out, leased it out to the, the caretakers of the vineyard, which was me giving it to the, is God giving it to Israel. And they abused it. They took advantage of it. It didn't bring forth the way it was supposed to. They tried to take advantage. He sent his servants, which were the prophets. They abused them. They cast them out. They killed some of them. But then he sent his son. Surely they will honor my son. 
they said, let's kill the son, let's, let's seize upon the inheritance, then we'll have the vineyard. <clears throat> what will the Lord of the vineyard do when he returns? And they said, he will miserably destroy them. And uh, Jesus said, you have spoken your own words. I will, it will be taken from you and given to another. And it's you know, a description of the Gentiles and the, the New Testament work mm. that Jesus was going to do. Well, in that is a beautiful picture of one of the first things in Isaiah 5 that God said he would do is, I will remove the hedge. I will take down the hedge. I will right. allow the hedge to be trampled. And one of the first things to go when a person compromises is holiness. That's mm-hmm. not a big deal. That, that, I don't need that. I, who was I talking to? It might have been you guys. They were telling me that someone took over a church and they, they let go of all holiness. They let go of all standards. And then they, they drywalled over the baptismal tank. Yep. Well, that, then they said, I will tear down the tower. Yep. Well, when they get rid of baptism, when they, and then it becomes, we don't want you to speak in tongues. We don't want you to glorify God publicly. Well, they remove the wine press. Right. And now you have, there is no vineyard. You have stopped the vintage of, right. of God's purpose and kingdom. Well, in Pentecost as a whole, there's been a fight to maintain the vineyard. And, you know, people fight for that. And, well, when you put it in those terms, Brother Terry made sure there was a vineyard. <laughs> that wall was staying there. And the that tower was, was staying the was there. there. I mean That's it was. Right. Yeah. And a, a big resistance to compromise were the Terry boys. Mm-hmm. They didn't care who you were. <laughs> they were going to stand up. I mean, for better or for worse, they were yeah. going to stand up and be counted. And they did. And they do. Still I love do. that. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, there's still many out there that are still preaching the word, that still have strong, thriving churches, and it's it's what Brother Terry has put in these men, you know. Um, it's it's amazing to see. It's amazing to be a part of that legacy. We are obviously Frostites, you know. So Frostites. We, yeah, Frostites. <laughs> Frosties. Yeah, Frosties. <laughs> so, you know, we're, we're, we're out from Brother Frost. He, he was our original pastor. Pastor now, Brother Bradford, of course, big part of both of our ministries and, and what we are doing now. But Brother Terry, we still have that bit of legacy in us. We we were both blessed. He obviously stayed with him every night. And you're connecting to men who were impacted. I mean, we talked yes. about Brother Eccles, and we talked mm-hmm. about men in that area that yes, were just so, many. so strong. Yes. Like Brother Parker, you know, who was related to Brother Terry. That didn't get any uncle. better than Jess Parker yeah. in my book, man. And you want to see you want to see a replica of Brother Terry. Those that have known Brother Parker can see that in him. Uh, just a man of the word. You know, Brother Terry taught simplistic, yet powerfully. You know, I don't know if you ever heard the message of the three Ps. You can, establish, you can establish a doctor, you know, by the mouth of two or three witnesses, right? So the three Ps, the Psalms, Peter and Paul, he'd go to all three, and this mm. is why we do what we do. And those kind of teachings he instilled in his men. And I think when you preach doctrine the way it should be in the Word of God, the way it should be, uh, you produce men. Because there's uh, men like responsibility. I think real men should take responsibility. Okay. I read recently an article called The Feminization of Christianity. Mm. And it was talking about the denominal world. Sadly, to some degree, it's in the apostolic world now. The skinny jean, I won't go there. (laughs) Talk about the frosties, they're softies. (laughs) Um, But it, it 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 was really they were referencing the like the promise keeper conferences where men were getting together and crying and sharing their feelings and 
and <laughs> there's something in me that's like, what? I, look, I'm all for being genuine. I'm right. not trying to be some kind of a toxic deal, but how about we grow a backbone and how about we get about the business? Men are warriors. That's yeah. right. Men are protectors. Mm-hmm. And that's one thing that's so appealing about apostolic churches, strong apostolic churches, is there is a, it's a masculinity. Um, I'm not ashamed to say that. You got to protect. And, and there's a wolf, there's a lion, there are predators. And a true apostolic shepherd is going to stand up and they're going to fight. Right. It's one reason why secular men go to sports. Mm-hmm. It's a fight. Makes they're, sense. They're yes. wired mm-hmm. for war. They're wired for fighting. If, well, if you're giving them a, a, a circle where you cry and sing kumbaya and get in touch with your feelings, the point of the article was it's the feminization of Christianity. Right. And um, you know, I'm not trying to beat my chest and be, you know, Mr. Macho Man, but I, I, I am a man, right. and I, I am fighting for the truth. And there was something about that, that determination and authority that was in those men, and it is in those men that I love. I, and Christianity's got to have it. Right. Well, you know, scripturally, and I'm paraphrasing, the Bible says that the man that doesn't provide for his family is lower than an infidel. Yeah. And, and so there's a responsibility on the man not making the woman less. I mean, they're just as equal. They have their part that God has called them to be, but we're to provide. You know, I have a daughter. I want her to marry someone that's providing. That's just not wealth and, and uh, money. That, that's health and protection. And I, and I think part of the cool thing about, I think it's a cool thing, is being masculine is having that calling that's a calling to god you know when he cursed man he says you're going to work by the sweat of your brow that's just the curse of man that's what i tell this to my boys we have a responsibility thank god it's not pain in childbirth i don't want that responsibility he gave that to the woman yeah so we each are individual but god has called us to be strength in that way right and the purpose of a shepherd is to protect Mm -hmm. right Mm -hmm. and who do you want to be protected by i want to be protected by a, a man I want to be protected by somebody who is strong, yeah. who has a backbone, who's going to stand up for me, who's going to stand up for the church, who's going to stand up. That's the purpose of a shepherd. There are men. I, I, I remember a story of it was um, the army. I think it was the army. It was a base, and, and there were some special ops soldiers that came in from a mission. They were returning from a mission. <clears throat> they walked past all the recruits and all the general populace and you know they were scarred they were wearing civilian clothes they were all just ruggedly built it was obvious they were special forces the guys in black helicopters and uh, they came in and they had a few weeks down <clears throat> they stayed on that army uh, base and they were rowdy they were blowing off steam they they had alcohol and wild parties and and women and everything and and it was totally against the protocol of the base well the the, the managers of the base you know they resented that you know you, you're on the base you need to follow the rules so they sent uh, a young man over there to tell them to quiet down <laughs> and the young man had never been to war they he, he was just a kind of a for you know they didn't have much experience and he's smooth faced and <laughs> smooth hands more of a paper handler and when he got <laughs> over there those guys <laughs> I think they yanked his clothes off and threw him outside and just totally disrespected him. And he's out there. And uh, he came back and said, well, they wouldn't listen to me. <laughs> so finally, one of the, one of the like it was like a three-star general, he had been 
he had served several tours. He was grizzled. He was scarred. He walked up there, and he knocked on that door. And when he entered the room, those guys snapped to attention. They knew that a man that had paid the price right. was there, and he calmed the whole thing down. That actually, that actually happened. Um, well, if you take that in a spiritual sense, there is something dynamic about that grizzled veteran, that guy. I, if, if I want the man that's going to watch over my home, I want the guy who's missing an eye, who, who is scarred, who has been through things that is not shaken, right. for, if, to use the metaphor. Mm -hmm. That person that has been through battles, that has been through struggle, and I want that person in my corner. And um, unfortunately, when you get people that have never fought battles, that have never stood for anything, and you have them making decisions that impact churches and regions, we're in trouble. Right. It's a, it's a bad thing when mm -hmm. you have people that haven't been to battle before. Absolutely. I think that's what makes a man. You know, it's not if he's smooth-faced or a paper pusher, because there's good men that do that kind of thing. But it's a man that's willing to stand up for what's right. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It's a man, he may not be a fisherman or a hunter, but he stands up for morale. He stands yeah. up for, for you know, what is right. What he is embraces doctor. that leadership yeah. dynamic. And he's not afraid to fight for that. And he's bold in that. You know, he's unashamed of that. Men want that. That's Absolutely. right. So that is why they go to the entertainment venues and they go to the sports venues. Is because if you remove the battle, if you if if, if Christianity becomes a, a therapy session, right. right? If it becomes just nice things that we say to each other, right. That's not Christianity. Christianity is fighting devils. Christianity right. is running predators off and mm -hmm. creating stable homes and fighting the good fight and providing and, and f contending for the doctrine. Yeah, it's a watchman on the wall. Mm -hmm. yeah. You're looking for predators. Absolutely. It's not somebody negotiating on the wall with predators, <laughs> trying to ease things. You know, we're, we're, we're in a spiritual battle. Okay. You, you've heard the stories of Winston Churchill? Mm -hmm. When I think of Brother Terry, I think of like a Winston Churchill. You know, <laughs> That's it's a good analogy. It's just yeah. that they cut from the same well, I've never know? heard that before, but I like it. Well, there was Neville Chamberlain. You know, Neville Chamberlain was chancellor or prime minister, I think it is. Um, Adolf Hitler's on the rise. And he was running over the top of Neville Chamberlain. And, and Hitler would say, all right, you better give us this or we're going to do thus and so. And Chamberlain would come back and say, well, he, he just won't stop, guys. He... He's just coming and, okay, we'll give him this. And then, and then and he said that's what he wants. And he kept on conceding and conceding and more and more ground. Well, then, you know, after so many concessions, finally Winston Churchill stood up and said, um, a pacifist is someone who thinks that you can stop the advance of a lion by giving him steak. Yeah. That will not work. <laughs> yeah. Right? <laughs> Absolutely. But that's why that's why the people wanted David as a king, yeah. right? Because of what he did previously. This is the man that was willing to fight the bear. He was willing to fight the lion, and he was willing to go before the giant. Mm -hmm. You know, that's what you want. Somebody who's willing to stand up for you and, and be a man and just and protect. Well, and I probably need to clarify, you know, because as soon as we're talking about this, you know, there's going to be somebody that points out, well, you know, we're not trying to beat everybody up and we're not trying to be tough right. guys yes. for Jesus. But Terry had a very caring side. He, he, he's talking to you as a young man. He took interest in you. He took time with you. There was a fatherly dynamic there. Absolutely. Um, and I find that these men many times care about individuals. They care deeply and profoundly. So I'm not trying to, you know, 
beat the drums of war. I'm trying to say there's a time for things. Absolutely. Yeah, and Brother Terry would admit that, that he could be a little too hard on people, but the hardness came from a love of the doctrine. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, he loved people. He grew people. Um, but there was no nonsense whenever there was sin in the camp or something mm-hmm. like that. He, you know, and, and really to understand anyone, anyone, and not to judge too quickly lest you be judged, is to know what he was dealing with. Like we talked, you know, free Pentecost. That's why he preached the way he did. Sit down and eat it, saints. Yeah. Don't be running the aisle right now. I want you to hear. I don't want someone standing up with the revelation and interrupting the word of God. He yeah. stood up for those kind of things and dealt with those kind of things. So um, could you do it like Brother Terry did today? No, but you can still have the same yeah. vigor and passion and tenacity. Yep. You know, <clears throat> Brother Frost was underneath Brother Terry. Mm-hmm. But he was not, he didn't uh, do some of the things that Brother Terry did with discipline. Mm -hmm. And uh, if he was here, he'd tell you those things. Mm -hmm. Um, And Brother Bradford is still a stem from all of it. Mm -hmm. And he is very wise and uh, still defends the doctrine. The doctrine has never changed. The stand of holiness, the hedge is still there. The hedge is still there. Uh, you, You reminded me, I told you, my pastor preached a message called the song of the vineyard mm. and it is from that isaiah 5 oh wow and i'll have to tag you in i need message. to hear that he didn't finish it but it was powerful and it's everything you just said and so more. good yeah well my grandfather loved brother terry um grandpa presided over the upci when it was had a lot of moving parts it there was a right there was a left there was a center <clears throat> and brother terry would have been considered far right in the upc and there were men who did not like Brother Terry. Um, they felt he was too caustic, too abrasive. But my grandpa loved Brother Terry, and he said, no, no, you need to hear what Brother Terry has to say. He has something to say, and it's profound. So he invited Brother Terry to come and address the executive board of the UPCI. And I think they said it started at 8, and it went to like 11.30. Mm-hmm. Or, or 12 or something like that. It's like a three or four hour Until deal. Until they brought the piano player to come up and yeah. <laughs> let Brother Terry know. Okay. He, he would say things that were so strong and people would look at Grandpa and he'd just smile. He was enjoying every bit of it. He wanted them to hear. He wanted them to know the, the different elements of Pentecost that made us such a mosaic, mm-hmm. such a, 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 a patchwork of people, of individuals. And Grandpa's fear and concern was that we would become these empty suits, this this conformity-minded corporation, this faceless corporation that just, there was no more individuality. He told the story one time, he preached this, about this preacher that he knew, it's my grandfather, um, who was an individual himself. Grandpa was a warrior in his own right. I'm getting my Terry's, my Terry stories and my Urshan stories straight in my head because there's another story. I don't mean to jump into too many of them, but there's another one. Brother Terry called Grandpa the Great Persuader, and he would laugh and say, "Brother, Brother Urshan could persuade anybody." And so they were having some kind of a deal out in California at Brother Terry's, and and there was a contentious issue that came up, and Brother Terry said, "Brother Urshan, why don't you come and talk about it?" So Brother Grandpa started making his way, and he said, here comes the great persuader. <laughs> and, and Grandpa just smiled. <laughs> oh, that's um, awesome. 
but grandpa would tell the story of this this preacher that he knew that was a part of early Pentecost. They were walking down the sidewalk one day and he bumped into a big, big man. And the big man said, watch where you're going, squirt. And the guy, the guy turned to him and said, who are you calling a squirt? And he said, I'm talking to you. And well, they kind of got a little heated. And the guy said, I'll knock your head off your shoulder. So he balled up his fist and came after him. And the, the little preacher started dancing around with his fists up like he's going to box. And, and then as he did, he said he, he started blowing on his thumbs. <laughs> blowing on his thumbs, dancing. And the guy said, what are you doing? He said, I'm going to blow my fists up to they're as big as yours. <laughs> he's dancing around like he's going to fight. And I remember Grandpa saying, that's your heritage. <laughs> and he was talking about the individuality that people had. And I, you know, I get it. You can't have too many individuals. You have to have some kind of a consensus. I know that. But I, I do love individuals. I yeah. love genuine people. That's, That's a big deal. You he guys, was genuine. You guys come from that. Yeah. <laughs> I can remember going into his house, and he'd always talk Bible without having a Bible in his hand. He was, he was like living the epistle. He would just speak the word as if I was reading it. And the apostle that he was, he created men that were individual, yeah. yet all alike in their rigidity on their stand mm -hmm. for the gospel. And he, he bragged about producing men like Rolls Royce, yeah. one of a kind. Yeah. And that was that, that's what he did. Yeah, he told one preacher, he said, you produce Ford. And Ford you, and, Chevy, and Chevy, all the same. But I produce. But my men are like Rolls Royce, <laughs> one of a kind. <laughs> and that is true. Isn't that neat? Yeah. Well, I love it, guys. Um, and I know we've got things we got to do, and y'all got to get back to Bakersfield. I'm so thankful to to Pastor Bradford for sharing y'all with Durham for a couple days. Please give everybody back in, in Bakersfield our love and our regards. And hey, your family, yes. if you're That's watching awesome. Biblos, we had the, the great Brother Brock and Brother Casey with us here awesome. today. With the great Nathaniel Urson, and we enjoyed every <laughs> bit of it. This was a fantastic weekend. We appreciate you so much, and this is a true honor for us. Well, we feel the same way, guys, and we look forward to many more. And um, until next time, we'll, we'll, um, we'll continue in fellowship, and God will be blessing both churches, and we're excited about Amen. the future. Thank you for joining us. Um, we pray God's blessing on you where you are. And until the next session, God bless you, and God keep you, and God cause his face to shine upon you. <laughs>